Welcome to the Runners Connect, Run to the Top podcast, where it's all about learning from the best minds in the sport so you can train smarter, stay healthy, and run faster now. And now your host, Lucas Felton. Felton. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast. I am hopefully an old but familiar voice. I am Jeff Gaudet. I am the owner of Runners Connect. And I'm stepping in today for Lucas since it's uh, summer and he wants to take at least a little bit of a week break uh, to some of the podcasting. So I'm going to jump in today. And what I want to talk about is a question that I get a lot from email, from athletes that I coach, questions on our blog. And that's really, and it has to do with supplements. Um, I, I can't tell you how many emails I get about, you know, what supplements should I be taking as a runner? And usually that question is followed with, you know, I saw an ad for product X. Uh, it claims to, you know, and you can insert any crazy claim, you know, eliminate lactic acid, improve recovery, oxygen utiliza- utilization, you know, those types of crazy things. And then they say, you know, do you think this actually works? And unfortunately, in my experience, 90% of the supplements that you're going to be pitched uh, to um, aren't going to actually do anything to help your running. And, you know, the thing is, I can't really blame you for wondering or asking about these these supplements as well, because the claims look amazing and it's tough to understand the science sometimes. And because many of these uh, these supplements say they're backed by studies. And as we'll uh, notice in the interview I do today, um, you know, studies should be in quotes because, um, you know, they're really not very scientifically conducted studies. And, you know, I remember having the same questions when I first started running and very much into my competitive career. Um, you know, I certainly didn't want to miss out on any of the potential benefits of, you know, taking a supplement, especially if it was just really as easy as taking that supplement. Um, and I tried a lot of them myself. Uh, but I like, like I said earlier, you know, none of them really worked. And, you know, but the problem is that type of experience doesn't really answer the question, um, especially since at Runners Connect, you know, we're obviously very focused on the scientific research of things. And so, you know, what I really want to know and I really want to help you know is, you know, are there any are there any supplements that are actually going to help your running? And are there any supplements that you absolutely must avoid? And so when I was setting out to create the Marathon Nutrition Blueprint, um, I wanted to interview one of I wanted to interview an expert, but I didn't want to interview somebody who had some type of stake in a supplement company company or some somebody who had some type of um, you know agenda to fill. Um, so I went out and I found one of the le- leading experts, and more importantly, I found somebody who had nothing to gain from recommending one supplement over another. And the person that I talked to, his name is Kamal Patel, and Kamal has a double major or a double MBA, MPH, which is a Master of Public Health from Johns Hopkins University. And Kamal is also the e- director of Examine.com. Now, if you haven't heard of examine.com, it's an independent encyclopedia on supplement and nutrition information. And again, this, the important thing is that it's independent and it's not affiliated in any way with any supplement com- company. And to my, in my opinion, the, the company was founded in 2011. And in my opinion, it's probably one of the best and most trusted unbiased resources for supplement inf- implementation. So, uh, you know, this again, this interview went into the Marathon Nutrition Blueprint quite some time ago, um, but because it's a question that keeps coming up, I thought maybe we could bring this on to the podcast today and, you know, share with you about, you know, what supplements are actually going to work, which ones are not going to work, and which ones to absolutely avoid. So without further ado, I know that was quite a, quite a long intro. Let's get into the interview I did with Kamal Patel, and I know you guys are going to love it. 
Well, hi, Kamal. Thank you so much for joining us on our show today. Really excited to have you and for you to share your expertise with our audience. Um, welcome. Thank you. Awesome. So, to first, let's to get started. Let's talk a little bit about uh, give us give us your background and specifically, you know, today we're going to be talking a lot about sports uh, supplements and supplements for runners. So, let's talk a little bit about, about your background, both uh, in specific to supplements in your book and your website, uh, but also a bit a bit about yourself as well. All right, sure. Um, so, I personally became interested in supplements um, around I'd say 1999 um, when I entered college. I was uh, maybe around 135 pounds, so um, not very bulky, and I started lifting weights. Um, I found out that the easiest way to gain muscle was not by going to the gym more, but by uh, eating in a smart way and perhaps supplementing. Um, so I started taking whey protein, um, and I think I took Mass Gainer 3000 or whatever that was called too, um, but that didn't work. So that got me started along the lines of nutrition supplementation. Um, after college, I I uh, went back to school for a master's in public health um, and an MBA at Johns Hopkins, and um, I got really into nutrition. Um, I got bigger and bigger, um, possibly too big, um, and had a had a big kind of suitcase full of supplements that I took. Ever since then, I've been weaning off supplements. Uh, now I'm down to just a very select few uh, that I need, uh, but I've seen that it seems like 10 or 20 years ago, supplements uh, were mostly for bodybuilders, whereas in the past 10 years, um, endurance athletes seem to be maybe one of the biggest um, uh, populations that are getting more and more interested. So I'm really interested to hear what you say um, as well. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks for that background. And it's funny, you know, I didn't know you did your MBA at Johns Hopkins. I actually did, uh, I did my master's at Hopkins as well. So you were in the D.C. campus, I'm assuming? Uh, no, I was on the Baltimore campus. Oh, you were on the Baltimore uh, campus. Yeah, in East Baltimore, um, next to the hospital. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So, where were you? Uh, yeah. Well, um, my fiance actually went to Hopkins, um, and so that's actually where we met. She was. Uh, oh wow. Hopkins. So, yeah. Okay. Interesting story. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, um, you know, I kind of had the same experiences with you uh, in terms of in, in terms of supplements, um, starting with my running. You know, I mean, I was pretty much looking into anything I could do to improve my running, and you know, obviously, supplements come. Uh, in all different forms when you're talking about, you know, how can we use them to improve running performance. Um, and I tried probably pretty much everything that's, um, you know, legal and that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I always, I always found it very difficult to determine, you know, especially, and this is what I want to talk about with you with, is, you know, when you, when you look at supplements, you know, the, the, aver the makers of the product are always going to tell you that it can produce amazing results and it's going to change your life and all that. So it's really difficult to separate the marketing hype from you know what's actually you know what's actually in the supplement what it's going to do for you and um, I think for me more importantly you know is it going to be safe is it uh, is it safe and then is it going to benefit me um, and to be honest you know to, to give some readers an introduction you know I um, uh, you wrote a book um, and I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the, the book off the top of my head now can you what was the name of the book um, so examine has a book out um, I'm the director at examine.com their book is the uh, supplement goal um, reference guide um, I also wrote a book about chronic pain um, that has a long title, but it's essentially nutrition and chronic pain. Um, so that's my specialty. I was in a PhD program um, researching nutrition and chronic pain. Um, I'm taking a hiatus right now to work with Examine. But I basically um, researched the, the best food and supplement nutrition strategies uh, for different pain conditions. Um, and I know that that crops up a lot in endurance athletes. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I was uh, saying, I think you know, with Examine, um, you guys do an amazing job of um, you know really showing the research and, and getting down to the nitty gritty of 
you know, is this supplement going to work? Is it safe? And, and that kind of thing. And that's why I wanted to have you on uh, because I think it's such an amazing resource. And not only do I want to share that resource with the athletes that are listening here, um, but hopefully we can learn a little bit more, you know, specifically, um, you know, with runners, you know, what, what they're able to do and, and what's going to work and what's not going to work. Um, so kind of digging in, um, you know, the first question that I want to a- that, that I want to ask is, you know, what's the danger of looking for shortcuts with supplements? Um, because I think that's, uh, to me, I think that's one of the things that when people ask me what supplements are, are, what supplements can I take to improve my running? You know, I always start, my first thought process is, well, what shortcut are you trying to, to make? And so, um, and to me, there's always a danger to me, there's usually a potential danger in that. Yeah, that's a great question because, um, supplement companies, believe it or not, are not always straightforward. Um, so they have no obligation to cover all the evidence that goes into, uh, the particular supplement that they're selling. Therefore, they can cherry pick one or two studies, uh, maybe take a rat study or a mouse study and apply it to humans, which doesn't always work. Um, And let's say there's five or 10 total studies published on endurance athletes on a certain supplement. They could keep trying potentially over the course of 15, 10, you know, whatever, 20 years. And when they get a study published that has positive results, then they'll market that study. So just because a supplement says this has worked and endurance athletes in two studies, that doesn't mean that it really, really works. Um, and supplement companies also presume a lot of things that are not good mm-hmm. to presume. Um, they presume that nutrition researchers even know what a human body needs for its particular goal, like if you're trying to improve your marathon time or if you're trying to improve recovery. Nutrition researchers don't really know that. There's a lot of unknowns in the body, and um, we're probably 10, 20 years away from knowing exactly what goes on. Um, you know, we know like... I've seen on your website you have really great articles about um, maybe exactly how many grams of carbs you should take to prevent hitting the wall and stuff like that, but we don't know what all nutrients affect that process. Um, And then, like you said, it's not always known what unintended effects a supplement has over time. So the way I think of it is that the body body is a finely tuned machine um, that's been developed over the course of, you know, 200,000 years. So if you throw in a supplement, then you don't know what effect that's going to have, not just acutely, but by interacting with other foods and nutrients you take in. And the um, side effect profile for supplements is not always known. So in my old job, um, we used to curate the database of all clinical trials done um, in the U.S. and around the world. So we would look at the methodology, ask the company if, or the pharmaceutical company or um, nonprofit organization, if they could maybe bolster the results or um, go back and correct things that need correction. There's a lot of things that need correction. So oftentimes they'll forget one or two side effects or they won't list numbers or they'll, uh, you know, have temporary dyslexia and switch the numbers for mortality and for, you know, nausea. Those are important things. So it's very important to really check out the side side effect profile because if you take something innocuous too much, let's say um, baking soda, which some athletes take, um, you can get alkalosis and, you know, that, that could be a life-threatening condition. So it's important to not just look at benefits, but also potential detriments. Yeah. No, that's, you know, those are just amazing points. And I think it just goes, again, to, you know, making sure that when you're looking at any supplement, no matter what it is, that you really research, um, you know, what it's doing and uh, trying to get as much research that is not directly related to the company that's selling that particular product. Um, because like you said, it just there's a, just a lot of misinformation going around, um, whether it be intentional or unintentional or just, you know, uh, manip- or selectively showing studies and that kind of stuff. So I think that's that's really important. Those are some great, great points. Um, kind of moving forward, I think 
you know, what are some of the misconceptions uh, that you think people have about how supplements can help and what they can do? And specifically, I'm thinking um, a little bit about multivitamins or more specifically, um, and, and you kind of brushed upon this, but like, you know, we, we've kind of, we understand that the role of, you know, that free radicals um, are a little bit uh, that, that hamper recovery. And then so vitamin C can help reduce free radical damage. Um, but then on the, the, the flip side, we realize that taking vitamin C um, in, in theory will actually reduce training load benefits or benefits of training. So I guess it's a cyclical thing where we think, okay, vitamin C is going to help us recover faster, but in reality, it's actually reducing the training benefits. So um, do you see a lot of those misconceptions that come around in supplements in terms of, you know, what companies say they can do and then really not understanding the full cycle? Yeah, so um, every few years, the public conception and even research conception of a nutrient will change. So, for example, in 1998, a big paper came out about vitamin C in Nature, which is one of the most prestigious journals, um, that showed for the first time, at least in a big journal, that vitamin C can uh, possibly increase oxidation of some um, DNA. So, it was a huge paper, very controversial. Um, a lot of people wrote in saying that the paper was flawed. So the vitamin C issue is, is a really tough one. Um, it's not great to overdose on vitamin C, especially directly after training, because you want training adaptations. However, um, you know, it's not extremely natural to run um, 10, 20, 30 miles. So you do possibly need some supplementation to optimize that. But vitamin C and other antioxidants um, all play together as part of the whole antioxidant system. If you overload on one, often it can make that into pro-oxidant. So uh, rewind like maybe 10, 15 years ago, the federal government was touting a scale called ORAC, which um, is an in vitro test of the antioxidant capacity of a food or nutrient. So like when goji berries or blueberries, spinach, um, acai, all those superfoods, um, tout their benefits, they'll say it tested very high on ORAC. Well, it turns out maybe, I don't know, five, ten years ago, they found out that ORAC doesn't really correlate very well with what the antioxidant does within the body because the endogenous antioxidant system um, is much, much more powerful than most things you can put into the body. So the government stopped using ORAC in its web pages and in, in its studies, but it continues to be used for supplements um, and also for superfoods. So I'd say in general, the concept of a miracle supplement or overdosing or not megadosing on vitamin C or taking superfoods is not really an accurate concept because one ingredient will not beneficially affect the totality of your endogenous within your body antioxidant system. Yeah. For vitamin C, it's not completely known what the effect of different levels are. So probably if you take let's say 500 milligrams of vitamin C, it's completely safe. It will probably help your training and recovery. Um, if you take 1,000 milligrams, that's probably also true. If you take more than that, then not all bets are off, but uh, it's more questionable. So first of all, um, as a runner, you don't want stomach upset. Um, a lot of vitamin C will possibly cause stomach upset and diarrhea. Um, and then like you said, if you take a lot, um, it's possible that not only will it cause more oxidation, but it'll reduce the benefits to training. Um, so you need enough vitamin C to support the antioxidant system and to support the repair of cartilage and um, tendons and ligaments, but you need to avoid taking so much that you hurt yourself. And those, that bottom level and the top level are not really known. Um, and the same is true for multivitamins. 
for a multivitamins, uh, they tend to just arbitrarily include 100% of each vitamin. The 100% of the RDA is not super well researched. So in my last job, uh, my first project was um, in 2010, they remade the vitamin D guidelines. And it was very controversial. So dermatologists um, were against increasing vitamin D too high because they didn't want people to be out in the sun and you know get melanoma, which is a fine concern. But um, it only takes maybe 10 to 15 minutes outside, maybe three times a week to get enough vitamin D. So when we were doing the research for the guidelines, um, parties were interested in the level that was recommended, not objectively, but from their own research interests. So researchers were interested because they were either pro or anti-vitamin D. Dermatologists were interested in a different way. Um, and physicians were interested from a different perspective. From my perspective, um, something like vitamin D. So um, do you take vitamin D? I don't, but I, I know that uh, a lot of people do, especially when they're taking it with calcium to help yeah. kind of, you know, you need to kind of combine the two. So um, generally, like vitamin C is a very important nutrient. Vitamin D might possibly be the most important nutrient because um, it's a hormone. It's not really a vitamin like the rest of the vitamins. Um, it's a fat-soluble vitamin, so if you take it without eating it with fat, then not much will be absorbed. So it's best to get vitamin D from the sunlight, but... Um, if you draw a line across from about San Francisco to Raleigh, North Carolina, if you go above that line, you get almost no vitamin D for about five or six months of the year. So in Boston, you're kind of screwed. In San Francisco, <laughs> you're sort of screwed. If you're down in Mexico, it's okay. But um, because vitamin D is a hormone, it's involved in everything, um, in recovery and immune response, um, in fuel oxidation, um, there's a receptor for vitamin D in every cell, and that's not true of other vitamins. So for something like vitamin D, it's best to, to get it from sunlight. You can store it if you go on vacation. So if you go on vacation, you know, on a cruise or to Mexico, you can store a lot of vitamin D by going outside every day and, and getting sun exposure. Um, but basically, um, my main message is that you should try to get all the vitamins and nutrients as much as you can from their natural sources and then if you're doing something like a marathon, especially an ultramarathon, then consider things that you might need on top of that. Uh, but only if you already have your basics down, like whole foods um, and especially sleep, then you should consider supplements. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple, I, I guess, bigger picture ideas there in terms of like misconceptions. And one, I think one being, you know, I think as runners, we're always kind of thinking, well, more is always better. And so I think the misconception there is even if something's good for you, it's not necessary, you know, more is not always going to be better. And I think along those lines, um, you know, we're also looking at um, that just because one particular, uh, just because the supplement, there's a, there's a disconnect between what happens naturally in our bodies and what we can put in with it. Um, and so that those always aren't going to interact um, successfully, maybe. Is that, are, are those kind of right uh, ideas? Yeah, okay. um, pretty much if you... If you try to um, feed your body what it would naturally get, then that should cover most of the bases so that you're not, you can't fix a terrible diet with supplements because um, let's take fish oil, for example. So fish oil is a contentious subject because in studies, fish oil often performs worse than eating fish does, which wouldn't make sense unless you dig into the literature. It turns out that sometimes fatty acids within fat work together and also, if you eat fat in the form of a fish oil pill that has been sitting out for a while, mm -hmm. 
it's often um, oxidized, auto-oxidized. So once um, fish oil or any other highly unsaturated fat gets exposure to light or just over time or to heat, then it'll start oxidizing and it'll be much more oxidized than freshly cooked fish. So that might be one reason why food is sometimes a better source of omega-3s. But also for something like that, people like, let's say 200 years ago, didn't have to take fish oil pills because not only did they get fish from seafood, but um, omega-3s from fish oil balance with omega-6s roughly. Um, and omega-6s come from things like vegetable oils primarily, but also most other foods have some level of omega-6. Um, if you don't watch what types of fats you eat, then you end up taking in a lot of omega-6 through things like soybean oil, canola oil, corn oil, um, any other type of vegetable oil except for maybe um, olive oil isn't so bad. So if you end up taking in a lot of omega-6, then your ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 ends up being high. That's why you have to take some omega-3s to balance out the omega-6 because uh, typically, again, this is a generalization, but omega-6s are somewhat inflammatory, whereas omega-3s are anti-inflammatory. And um, just like the example I said before, um, antioxidants, you only need antioxidants to protect against oxidation. So if you're not getting a lot of oxidation, your ratio of antioxidants to oxidants doesn't have to be so high. So with omega-6s and 3s, instead of taking fish oil pills, you could just eat less vegetable oil. And what superfoods um, that have antioxidants and vitamin C and other supplement pills you can take, you don't have to take as much of that stuff if you don't have as much fat in your body that's oxidized. And the type of fat that's oxidized is cheap vegetable oil. If you eat healthy fats, they're less easily oxidized, so you don't have to take in as much antioxidants. And that all plays into basically everything to do with um, athletics, because when you're burning fat on a long run, you're burning the fat that you ate. So you want to burn fat that more or less is clean fat, not easily um, oxidized. It doesn't go rancid very easily. Um, sometimes people with heart issues, if they run, can develop, develop heart problems because your heart's beating a lot and pumping a lot of blood. So you want to make sure you eat good fat so that if you do have maybe some sort of hereditary heart issue, then the type of fat that um, your heart that you're, that's laid down in the um, blood vessel along with cholesterol is healthy fat, not fat that's easily oxidized. So um, it just goes to say that one particular super supplement is less often helpful than a balanced diet that um, has a lot of whole foods in it. No, I, th I mean, I think that's, uh, that's fantastic. And I mean, I think it really hammers home the point of, you know, the value of a um, a, a well-rounded uh, diet as opposed to trying to supplement, um, you know, make up for eating, eating terribly. So I think that's a, I think it's a great point to hammer home. Um, so I want to get specific now about, you know, different supplements that can benefit runners, different supplements that um, many runners use that don't necessarily have benefits and, and definitely stuff that we should avoid. So let's start with, you know, are there any uh, supplements that through your research, um, that, it, that you think uh, have shown that runners can use to help recover faster or boost their performance? There's a few. Um, there's not as much as for bodybuilding. For bodybuilding, um, there's not a, a huge amount of supplements that help, but because the goal is protein synthesis, um, and that's the only goal, then there's a few things you can do to help with protein synthesis, such as eating a ton of protein um, and doing some other things that shuttle uh, protein, amino acids, and glucose into cells. For endurance athletes, there's fewer supplements that help because 
um, you know, if if you don't have the willpower to to run a long time, then you're just it doesn't matter what you supplement. Um, and if you're if you don't have good enough recovery because endurance athletics takes a lot more out of you than bodybuilding does, then again you're just not going to perform well. So I'd say maybe there's two, three, perhaps four supplements that I would recommend. Um, starting with the multivitamin, I actually would not recommend a multivitamin for most people. Um, I guess if you eat terribly and you're not getting any nutrients, then it might be good to take a multivitamin just for somewhat insurance, but it won't really, really help you. The reason is that uh, multivitamins don't include things that are bulky. So you need a pretty good amount of magnesium in your diet, and um, the supplement manufacturers don't want to make pills that are too big because people don't take horse pills. So they'll cut out some magnesium and not include enough. Um, so they'll also include cheaper forms of magnesium, like magnesium oxide, which is not very well absorbed. I think the absorption is something like 10% compared to magnesium citrate or some other magnesium chelates. So instead of taking a multivitamin, um, if you're really into nutrition, then just take the ones that are important. So take vitamin D. Like I said, it's probably the most important nutrient, and take it in the winter. If you live below that line from um, San Francisco to Raleigh, North Carolina, and you don't have an office job and you're outside during the daytime, you don't have to take vitamin D. But if you have an office job, um, then you're probably inside most of the day and UVB light that creates vitamin D on your skin does not cross through windows. So you pretty much should take vitamin D during the winter. In the summer, you don't have to take vitamin D if you get outside. In the spring or fall, you can take a little bit less vitamin D or none at all. So I take sometimes 4,000 IU of vitamin D um, I think the recommended level is something like a thousand IU, but um, in my opinion, they underestimated a little bit in the guidelines just to be safe. So I would take somewhere between a thousand and four thousand, and uh, if you get some sunlight but not too much, maybe take a thousand or five hundred IU. Um, and then the other nutrient in um, multivitamins that is not in there enough is magnesium. So take. Uh, magnesium citrate or some other chelate and uh, just get it up to 100% without causing any stomach upset. The reason magnesium is important is um, it causes some muscle relaxation which you'll need for recovery um, and also you don't um, you can't have a, an imbalance of electrolytes and minerals while you're running because you lose so much through sweat. Um, so you need sodium, you need magnesium, you need zinc um, and these are all involved in a bunch of different body processes, um, recovery, immune function. So uh, you have to optimize your electrolyte levels. And I think most of that is actually covered on your website pretty well, so I won't go over that. Um, another supplement that's important is protein. Um, I think you guys have also written about this. Runners often need more protein than bodybuilders, um, which bodybuilders will not expect. The reason is that protein is oxidized during long runs but protein is not really oxidized during short weightlifting sessions. So runners often need more than bodybuilders do. And um, oftentimes you can get enough through food, but if you're uh, rushed for time or if you just like the taste of protein powder, I would recommend getting extremely healthy protein powder. So um, first of all, you might get side effects if you take protein supplements if um, your stomach doesn't agree with them. So some people can't handle casein. Um, casein sometimes can interact with the gut lining to produce an autoimmune reaction. So if you have an autoimmune condition or if you have a family history of autoimmune conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, eczema, th things like that, 
um, then you might want to stay away from casein. Whey protein doesn't really have those effects, but um, whey protein is pretty quickly absorbed and it increases your um, insulin levels pretty quick. So if you have a family history of diabetes, then it might be best not to overdose on whey. On the other hand, whey protein can be quite healthy for increasing the body's glutathione levels. Um, glutathione is one of the principal parts of the body's endogenous antioxidant system. And if you take um, typically very expensive whey protein that's cold processed, um, sometimes even from grass-fed cows, then that can substantially increase your body's glutathione levels. The other thing you can do to increase glutathione levels is take NAC, N-acetylcysteine, um, but don't take things that are directly um, increasing glutathione, like a glutathione supplement, because it's much easier and cheaper to take either protein or NAC. And the reason why glutathione was, is important is because it's less important to increase performance for endurance exercise than it is to improve recovery, because recovery is very difficult after marathon or even after very long training runs. Uh, so recovery, I'd say, is more important for endurance athletes than it is for bodybuilders. Um, bodybuilders will get sore muscles, but that'll be gone in a day or two. For endurance athletes, you pretty much did three or four days worth of activity in two hours. So you have to recover and you have to optimize your glutathione levels. So I'd say minerals um, and glutathione boosters and optimal amounts of things that aren't optimized in multivitamins, um, those are some of the most important things. And then there's a couple other nutrients that I'd say are optional. Um, creatine is something that usually is thought of for bodybuilding, but it's also somewhat important for endurance athletics. Um, I actually don't know if most endurance athletes lift weights or not. Um, you would probably know better than I. Well, they should if, uh, if they want to improve their performance. So they should be lifting weights. Um, that's definitely something that's going to improve their performance. So, so um, I know some athletes, some endurance athletes don't want to gain excess bulk, but that's usually not an issue because um, you just can't run. You'll burn up some extra protein as you're running. Um, and if you're not lifting too much weights, you just won't have um, the rep range that will lead to protein synthesis. But creatine can still be important because especially if you're not getting meat if you're vegetarian then you're probably not getting creatine too much creatine in your diet and uh, creatine has a number of important effects um, it can enhance performance I don't think it's really been shown to enhance endurance performance but it can enhance um, lower rep performance which is important because you need strong hamstrings and strong quads and strong hip flexors um, in order to be a great runner um, and then also when looking at studies for prolonged cardiovascular exercise, um, even though creatine supplementation doesn't help, um, it might help a little bit, just enough to balance out the increase in body weight from um, water retention. So typically creatine and creatine responders will increase body weight by, I don't know, three, four, five, even more than that pounds, and that will impair performance a little bit. However, creatine has not been shown to decrease um, performance in endurance athletes, which means it might actually bump up performance just enough to balance out that weight increase. So creatine can be important, especially if you, weigh, if you lift weights a little bit. Um, another one that might be important is um, uh, responding to colds and flus optimally. So that isn't usually what you think of when you think of taking supplements, but when uh, people get a cold, which often happens in endurance athletes, if you're not getting enough sleep and you run a marathon, um, and then you have to go straight back to work and you're stressed out, then, uh, you know, you take chicken soup, which admittedly is okay. Um, try to get a lot of sleep, which is important, but 
A couple things that are good for colds are zinc lozenges. So not taking a zinc pill, but, you know, coldies are the store brand. Um, and it's important to not chew those and to not take a zinc pill because the zinc lozenge works on the back of the throat um, to impact viruses there. And then elderberry syrup is also a good supplement for colds. Um, it's somewhat expensive, I think, but um, sometimes it's on sale at CVS. Um, at Whole Foods, it's going to be extremely expensive. But those two supplements, along with a lot of sleep, is important for recovering from a cold. And I know that if you have a cold or flu that doesn't improve, then you can end up getting maybe two, three, four weeks off from training. And then when you get back to it, then it really sucks. Um, and then the last thing is... Um, to maintain general health. So um, most of the things I listed, like magnesium, are important for general health. Um, but it's important to, to eat whole foods, um, to, to not just focus on either getting a lot of plants or getting grass-fed meat, but getting a lot of everything. So getting plants, animals, and also supporting your gut microbiome. So almost as important as the food that you eat is the bacteria that's in your gut, uh, especially because when you run, then your gut often becomes more permeable. And the more permeable your gut lining is, um, the more likely it is that things cross over that aren't supposed to cross over and can lead to illness. So to maintain a healthy gut, you should either um, eat things that are fermented. So for example, yogurt, Korean kimchi, um, maybe... Uh, uh, kombucha or something like that, just anything that has bacteria in it, um, or eat things that get fermented in your stomach. So if you cook a potato and you leave it outside for four, five, six hours or put it in the fridge and it gets colder, it'll develop resistant starch and that starch gets digested by the bacteria in your intestine um, and produces beneficial effects. So it's as important to support yourself as it is to support the good bacteria in your stomach. And the last uh, supplement I'd suggest is caffeine. So it's not super important to get caffeine. Um, I think a lot of distance runners, especially people who win the uh, big name marathons, don't usually take caffeine. But caffeine does, uh, does improve endurance performance more than almost any other supplement, but typically only in people who are naive to caffeine. So, for example, I've only had one cup of coffee ever uh, because... I don't like the taste of coffee. I think I have the, the what's it called, super taster gene. <laughs> um, but in people who don't take coffee, it can significantly improve endurance uh, performance, which is something that can't be said for most other supplements except for, I think, some uh, off-the-wall things like beetroot juice and um, sodium bicarb, which is baking soda. Caffeine is easier to get, and it's easier to dose. So if you don't take caffeine then it might be a good idea to experiment with it as long as it doesn't um, cause stomach upset. If you do take caffeine, then don't stop taking caffeine right before uh, your marathon and then take it the day of because you might get headaches and it probably won't be worth it. But it is worth um, researching. I always suggest to, um, if you're interested in a supplement, don't take somebody's word for it. Do research and if you have any science background at all, then go to PubMed.com and look at the primary research because like in examine.com, we don't recommend any supplements. We recommend that you look at the research, and if you happen to be similar to the sample population, and if the supplement worked in that population, then look at all the studies and see if it might work for you and try it out. Yeah, that yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, the one, um, the one uh, maybe supplement uh, that I think we, you might have missed is uh, iron. Um, yeah. 
so mm -hmm. I, I definitely, I mean, we have a, a pretty extensive article on iron and iron. Yes, well, uh, I actually, that's that's the reason I didn't include it. Uh, okay. Very good. Uh, I think it was written by, what's her name? Uh, uh, Melanie, my fiance. Yeah. Um, and it's very comprehensive. Iron is very important, especially for um, men who don't eat meat, um, or rather for women who don't eat meat because they lose iron monthly. Um, and you lose iron from just heel strike from your foot hitting the mm -hmm. floor. Um, blood cells are um, split. And then um, you often don't get enough iron if iron is competitively inhibited by other minerals in your diet. So it is important to get enough iron. It's also equally important to not get too much iron. Um, the reason being that while some people recommend that you take vitamin C with iron to increase absorption, um, I, I might not purposely do that because it's not really known in the literature how those two interact. So like I said before, vitamin C can sometimes be a pro-oxidant. Iron, iron is extremely vulnerable to um, the environment around it. So if you put a lot of vitamin C with iron in a test tube, um, things will go haywire and iron will be reduced. You don't want that to happen. So it might be best uh, to take those either separately or just to get them naturally through food so that you're not creating an artificial environment in your body. No, great advice. And, and we'll link up the article to, uh, to the iron um, at the bottom of this um, interview. That way people can have it. Uh, because you're right, it's pretty extensive. Um, but I wanted to mention it in this interview. That way, um, you know, people at least that are listening can, can know what we're talking about there. Yep. Um, so so that's, that's fantastic. I think that was a great list of, you know, supplements that we know can actually help. Um, you know, and obviously there's, you know, like you kind of mentioned, you know, there's specific people that it's going to help more than others. And you need to really, just like anything, uh, you need to make sure that it's going to work for you. Um, and I, I guess it's probably fair to assume that, um, you know, any, any other supplement, even though, you know, it's probably not going to be something that's um, going to be beneficial. So like, you know, there's a lot of products on the market that claim to do crazy things, um, uh, you know, I can't even really think of some of them off my head because they're top of my head because they're so um, they're so kind of out there. And then even some of them, I think, just have this. They play on misconceptions about um, endurance performance. So, for example, there are supplements that claim to um, to, to reduce lactic acid. And you know, from what we know about what we know now about sports science is that you know lactic acid is actually a fuel source, and reconverting yeah. lactic acid back into uh, usable energy is actually how. Um, you perform. And so any supplement that would claim to, to even reduce lactic acid would be, well, A, that's very difficult to do. But second, um, now we know, if, you know, that's playing on bad science. And so I think, is, is it probably safe to assume, I guess the question is, is it safe to assume that um, supplement companies that are that claim to do anything are probably, um, at least at this point, not, uh, not going to be beneficial. It's probably going to be a waste of money. I'd say that's, that's generally um, good advice. So not that many things improve performance directly for endurance athletes. Probably the most important supplements would be uh, for improving recovery, for improving general health, mm -hmm. and for treating pain. And those are the three categories where endurance athletes can really get a lot of improvement either from supplements or from activities, I guess, supplementing activities. So, um, you know, foam rolling, for example, is something that a lot of endurance athletes don't do, but um, really could benefit from. So foam rolling your IT band, you know, just on occasion can really improve endurance performance because you're looser. Um, getting trigger point massage maybe once every few months is something that could be very important. 
um, something even like meditating can have can I don't know if they've ever um, if researchers are ever have ever explored this, but meditation typically in a controlled setting improves any outcome, and the reason is that you're more aware of everything, and if you're more aware as an endurance athlete and you don't have anxiety, then I'm guessing something like meditation or even yoga or anything where you become more aware of yourself, your body, and your surroundings um, could help your mental status because the your mental status is probably half the equation in endurance athletics. Um, I had mentioned pain-related supplements. I know a lot of runners have either knee issues or ankle issues or foot issues. Um, I've had those issues myself, and there's not that many supplements that help, but there are a couple to keep in mind. So typically, um, if I have injuries or if I've had surgery, I don't take things like NSAIDs. So I don't take, um, I try not to take, I know you should always listen to your doctor. I'll just give that disclaimer, but I don't take the NSAIDs that the doctor prescribes because um, NSAIDs uh, affect a couple different enzyme pathways and they almost always have side effects. And you don't want an intestinal side effect from a medication if you're an endurance athlete because again, endurance athletics increases the permeability from the intestine to the to your body and things that are in the intestine should stay there. So if you take an NSAID to curb your pain in order to run, then you're probably hurting yourself in the long run because um, you know in 10, 20 years your intestine could be permeable enough to leak through some food protein and lead to an arthritic reaction in your fingers. And then you'll wonder where that came from. So rather than that, it's probably better to, after you, um, you make sure you have enough sleep and a balanced diet, explore things like turmeric. Um, so turmeric doesn't really have the side effects of um, pill-based anti-inflammatories. Um, gelatin. Gelatin is certain amino acids um, derived from animals typically that um, is high in amino acids like glycine and proline that are um, high in joint tissue. So you can either buy gelatin in a canister, um, you have to buy hydrolyzed gelatin in order to mix it in with cold water. With hot water, you can put regular gelatin in. Um, instead of buying gelatin, you could just eat food, but the food has to be something like slow-cooked meat on the bone. Uh, because if you buy chicken breast, the chicken breast has nothing in it other than protein. Whereas if you buy um, chicken on the bone or any meat on the bone and you slow-cook it, then um, material surrounding the bone in between the meat and the bone will diffuse into the water. So um, that is a little bit less um, easy to titrate, meaning you can't say like, if you buy gelatin, you could say, I took five grams every day and over the course of two months it helped me. What's so cooked meat, you can't really say that, but it does taste better. So <laughs> there's a pros and cons to everything, but if you're a foodie or if you just like food, um, one cool thing to try if you have an injury is, um, I used to live near Chinatown in Boston, and um, in one of those grocery stores like Super 88 or um, Lucky 44 or something like that, <laughs> I got um, tendon. So you can buy tendon, uh, frozen tendon, thaw it, and cut it into uh, strips and make Vietnamese pho with it. And it tastes really delicious, and it's extremely high in amino acids that can help joints. Um, the thing people usually take for joints is glucosamine, chondroitin, or MSM. Um, the latest meta-analyses show that glucosamine often doesn't help. I don't know if I buy that or not because the populations are often different between studies, um, but it's always worth trying glucosamine just to see if it helps. Um, chondroitin also has mixed evidence. Um, MSM is a source of sulfur, 
glucosamine sulfate is also a source of sulfur. Um, I think the reason why those help joints is less that they're glucosamine and MSM, but more that people are typically deficient in sulfur. And that's a thing that rather than taking supplements, you should get foods that are high in sulfur. So broccoli, Brussels sprouts, um, mushrooms, uh, a lot of those things don't taste good unless you cook them well. So don't boil them. You know, roast them with olive oil and herbs and spices and they'll end up tasting good. Um, eat them at least a couple times a week. Make kale chips um, and you'll get enough sulfur to support your joints. And because running pounds your joints so much more than anything else, it's really important to support your joints. Yeah, that was that was actually a really great list um, and, and discussion. I appreciate that. Um, you brought up the, the and, and one quick clarification. You said uh, NSAIDs, um, but that's just to clarify for people that don't know, that's non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. So yep. basically anti-inflammatories like um, ibuprofen, correct? Yeah. So okay. um, out of all the medications that a doctor might prescribe or that you might see on the shelf, the only one that isn't really an NSAID is Tylenol. So if I'm at a drugstore and I need to get something, I would usually get Tylenol because I don't want something that artificially reduces inflammation right after an injury. Because after an injury, you know, let's say you hurt your ankle and your ankle swells up. You need that swelling, uh, not a ton of swelling, but you need some swelling because that's your body's reaction in order to get rid of some of the... Um, some of the chemicals that shouldn't be there that are produced. So they're washed away. The inflammation keeps you from um, using your ankle too much. You shouldn't really totally get rid of that inflammation by taking an NSAID. Instead, you should do things like range of motion exercises. Again, get enough sleep, uh, but don't overdose on... Um, What's that one that lasts all day? So there's Advil and then... Uh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's yeah. Aleve. I'm not sure. Aleve, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I tend not to take those things. And if you rely on that for your pain, then you should probably explore other avenues. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we have a, a, another good article that kind of covers that exactly what you said, you know, in terms of, you know, not eliminating the anti-inflammatory response because it's an important part of the injury healing process. So um, yep. we'll include that as well. But I wanted to clarify just for in case people hadn't heard of it in that type of uh, setting before. Um, one of the other supplements that you potentially mentioned um, was amino acids. Um, have you found uh, that there's any research to support supplementing with amino acids either during running itself? Um, you know, I know that um, there are, I don't know if you'd call it a diet, but there's some recommendations for um, when you're working out to take amino acids and that being a performance benefit, um, both in performance and recovery. Have you found any evidence of that? Or So, um so all protein is made up of amino acids, and it is important to get enough amino acids through your protein. Um, so that means through food or through whey protein or casein, but there's a subset of amino acids, uh, branch-chain amino acids, BCAAs, or essential amino acids, EAAs, or even more specific, you can take one amino acid like leucine. So all of those have different amounts of evidence for bodybuilding, for regular people and for endurance athletes. Unfortunately, endurance athletes get the shaft. I don't know why, but they always do research first on bodybuilders um, and then maybe people who are sick because they do need amino acids and then endurance athletes. Um, BCAAs, branched-chain amino acids, do have some evidence for endurance athletes. So um, supplementing branched-chain amino acids um, typically is done if you're not getting a lot of food, if you're, um, if you're fasting. So I know that just recently some endurance, endurance athletes um, started doing intermittent fasting um, as a way to potentially increase 
um, your fat burning capability during running. Mm -hmm. So you you probably don't do that on the day of your competition run because um, you'll be you'll be screwed. You probably only <laughs> make it the whole race. But um, if you do it beforehand, um, training fasted could be a good tool in your tool bag. Um, the reason is that there's a concept called metabolic flexibility um, that talks about when you're at rest, what types of fuels does your body burn? Is it going to burn, let's say, 60% fat, 40% carbohydrate, or the inverse? Um, if you eat, if you eat like a cow, if you graze, if you eat six or seven times a day, um, and if you eat a ton of carbohydrate all the time, you're probably not going to have a lot of metabolic flexibility, meaning when you're at rest or when you're on a long run, then you won't have the optimal um, ability to switch between fuels. Now, that's way simplifying it, but um, the takeaway is that if you do intermittent fasting on a training run, maybe like 10% of your training runs, um, then it can lead to beneficial adaptations because um, just like carb loading for running, intermittent fasting as part of um, preparatory training can increase the amount of carbohydrate that your muscles store when you're actually on your competition run. So uh, the important thing is to be strategic. You can't always do fasted runs. Um, you should maybe just do them uh, once in a while and see if it adversely affects you. And if you do a fasted run, it might be a good idea to try branched-chain amino acids because branched-chain amino acids provide fuel when your body doesn't have fuel. Um, and some of the branched-chain amino acids are important for both muscle growth and muscle recovery. Um, and I think there's been either one or two studies of branched-chain amino acids in endurance athletes. Um, and BCAAs prevent, uh, uh, prevent, not completely, the fatigue response. And fatigue is an important limiter of endurance athletics. So basically, if you take in branched-chain amino acids, then that could somewhat um, uh, help cause tryptophan to um, enter the brain and if that happens, then there's a little bit less serotonin produced, and serotonin will cause fatigue. So um, this is really a thing that's a uh, person-by-person experiment. So maybe try some branched-chain amino acids at varying times before your training run, um, just 5 grams, maybe 10 grams, um, and see what that does. Uh, don't take unflavored branched-chain amino acids because it tastes like puke, or even worse than puke. So. <laughs> Um, you know, get one that tastes good, don't skimp on it, it'll be a little bit expensive, but uh, don't take it before every run. Uh, either just take it before fasted runs, or if you take it before runs and it seems to help, then take it before your competition run, and make sure it doesn't upset your stomach. Yeah, that's great advice, and I'm glad you went into the fasted uh, section. We, we have a section in the course about that, um, but it's always nice when we get confirmation from other experts, because um, I think, especially in, in those particular cases, people are maybe sometimes a little um, hesitant to, to do them, but I think now that we have confirmation from, from you as well, uh, hopefully it'll uh, convince people that it's a good idea to do, and we outline exactly kind of which runs they should do and on that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I think it's important to go in knowing what you're getting into, because if you go in without a guideline like yours, then you might just collapse. Right, right. Mode, so. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so so closing it up, um, you know, are there any supplements that you found that runners might take that are either definitely bad or um, potentially harmful? Uh, is there anything out in the market that you've seen um, that, that runners should absolutely avoid? So um, there's 
questions I've gotten from um, triathletes and from marathon runners about certain supplements where they've heard either from their friends who lift weights um, or from other endurance athletes that they might help. Mm-hmm. Um, those include testosterone boosters. Um, and I think, I think the reasoning is that um, if, you're, if you're running, then it's maybe hard to um, have enough body fat to support optimal um, testosterone production. So that might or might not be true, but it's not typically good to take testosterone boosters because what they often do is um, maybe increase libido or do nothing or provide placebo, but they rarely, if ever, increase testosterone. So what they could do is increase libido. Um, They could have some crazy side effects, um, perhaps make you angry, um, but they don't really do anything good. So I'd say testosterone boosters, stay away from them. Um, Anything that sounds crazy, like I think horny goat weed is a type of uh, testosterone booster. It's not a good product. Um, Don't take weight loss supplements and don't take ergogenic aids that double as weight loss supplements. So for example, ephedrine. Um, when I was in college, then um, an athlete on our football team collapsed and died um, after taking uh, whatever that's uh, something orange. Um, I don't remember what it's called, but that had ephedrine in it. And ephedrine is synergistic with caffeine. So like I said, caffeine could possibly be good for endurance athletics. But if you combine it with ephedrine, it will lead to weight loss. It's very good for weight loss, in fact. But it can also be dangerous. So I'd say always stay away from ephedrine or any other weight loss supplement, um, just as a general rule. Calcium as well is overrated. So um, a lot of athletes say, you know, if you're taking a pounding on your joints and bones, you need to take more calcium, and you also need strong bones in order to be able to run. That's all true, but calcium is an overrated supplement. More important than calcium is vitamin D and vitamin K. So if you look at studies where they studied um, high and low calcium intakes, and then you control for vitamin D intake, then you find calcium is not the thing that's important. Vitamin D increases the absorption of calcium into your intestine and through the lining. So if you get enough vitamin D, you don't have to worry about taking Viactive chews or um, calcium or mineral supplements because you'll probably absorb enough anyway. Um, Vitamin K similarly is very important for bone health. So I'd say calcium... Uh, probably would stay away from unless your doctor said there's a specific reason why you need to take it. Um, I also sometimes get questions about chromium. So endurance athletes, um, I think, often take things that they believe are lost through sweat. Now, that's true. A lot of things are lost through sweat. Um, You definitely need enough sodium um, and then some other minerals. But um, chromium, the evidence is mixed. So Uh, There's not enough studies to say whether endurance athletes need more chromium or not. And then um, people generally get enough chromium in their diet, even if they're doing a lot of exercise. And chromium hasn't even been shown to um, specifically be very good for blood sugar sugar control compared to some other supplements. So I'd say chromium, possibly uh, not very important. and then anything else that is uh, is a combination supplement, like a miracle supplement that includes three or four other things, I'd say stay away from because those things can interact with other nutrients. So the more things you take in, the more you have to think about. So just keep to a basic healthy diet, a lot of sleep, and then target in a specific manner if you experiment with one thing and find that it helps you. 
Awesome. That's that's absolutely fantastic advice. I mean, I think that that nails it in a nutshell. Um, you know, that, that last part. So I think that's fantastic. And thank you for going over those supplements that um, that I think runners should avoid. Um, now, obviously, I think, um, you know, as you've as you kind of mentioned, you have a lot of people ask you questions. Um, I think there's probably a hundred different supplements people could throw at you. Is this going to work? Is that going to work? Um, what I think the best thing to do is probably direct them to the examine.com um, supplement goals reference guide um, because I think that really covers pretty much everything. So um, just talk a little bit more about uh, that particular guide, um, where people can find it, um, you know, and that, those types of things. Because I, I think that's probably the best reference for people that have questions about if a particular supplement's going to help them. Sure. So um, when I myself am trying to learn about different nutrition topics or supplements, then um, I'll often read the primary research and then inductively conclude something from that. You probably don't have time or you know the biostatistics background to do that. So uh, somebody has to um, wrap up the evidence for you. And you, there's only a few websites that are um, objective and reliable. So the examine reference guide is uh, is a clickable guide that you can start with your goal and then find all the studies, the primary research that has been done on that goal. So for example, um, if you have an injury and you're trying to find something that reduces your pain, let's say from osteoarthritis or just from an acute injury, then you can click on that goal and find the five or 10 supplements that have any studies done on that. It won't just be the supplements that have positive results, it'll be all the studies. Um, and then there will be something like a two or three line summary of those. and. Uh, for endurance athletes, you could have a variety of goals. You could be trying to improve your time, which every endurance athlete is, um, but you could be trying to do that either by inc increasing your performance um, or by improving your recovery or by you know uh, increasing your muscle mass. So all of those are different goals, and we try to stay up to date with the latest studies on every supplement. And like I've said a few times, I try to take as few supplements as possible. So out of the, I don't know how many thousand, maybe 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 supplements that are in the guide, um, I've tried a lot of them, but right now I only take vitamin D and maybe three or four other ones, and I'll try to take even fewer. So if you get something like the Examine um, Supplement Goals Reference Guide, do it in a targeted fashion and do it for learning. It's best to learn about science and to learn about uh, the numbers that are attached to studies and then uh, come to your own conclusions then to take somebody else's word for it. Um, so something like that and something like digging into data and some and learning science yourself, I'd say are my primary recommendations. But yeah, so I really, really enjoy the, uh, the and I really recommend the examine guide. Um, as uh, Kamal told, uh, as, as we talked about, um, you know, it's really one of those things where it's it's very well researched and it's not marketing hype. It has nothing to do with, uh, you know, it's again, it's um, it's a completely um, independent site in terms of, you know, there's no companies giving it money to, to support a particular supplement or not. Um, and I think that's very important when we talk about supplements, as we've kind of mentioned uh, in, in passing that, you know, some of these studies uh, are kind of influenced by the companies that produce the supplements. So I really recommend that you check it out. It's examine.com. And there'll be a, a link at the bottom of the show that'll link you directly to the guide. Um, and again, it's definitely, I think, if you have any questions about supplements, what you should be taking, um, I think it's a, a definitely something that we um, that you should look into. So um, I appreciate all the hard work you guys have put into uh, to, to that guide as well. I mean, again, like you said, there's um, about 2,000 supplements or something on there you mentioned? 
Yeah, I don't know, two, three thousand. I'm not sure. There's a lot. Yeah, that's incredible. So, like I said, if you have any questions about supplements, definitely check it out. Um, I, it's an amazing resource. Um, and Kamal, you've been an amazing research on this interview as well. Um, everything you've uh, talked about has been really amazing. I've learned a lot, um, and I hope the people that have listening have learned a lot. And I know we spent a lot of time, so I really appreciate you know you going out of your way to to chat with us and to share your knowledge and your expertise. Um, and so thank you very much. Is there anything that I missed or that I maybe said wrong in terms of the guide or anything like that? No, um, everything was spot on. And uh, I'm, I'm really glad to be talking about supplementation and endurance athletes because it doesn't come up enough. Um, <laughs> and some of the best articles are on your website on the Internet. So it's really important that people look at the evidence um, instead of recommendations from Dr. Oz or whoever. Right, right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, it's been a real pleasure. So thank you. And I want to thank you, the listener, for joining us for this entire podcast. I really hope that the interview with Kamal helped you understand what supplements are going to work, which ones might work, and how to validate which ones are going to potentially work in the future should anything come on the market. Now, if you want to read any of the resources or re- references and interview later, you can head to runnersconnect.net slash supplements. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this interview, this uh, interview was part of our Marathon Nutrition Blueprint, where we give you the exact calculations to help you avoid the marathon bonk and the exact numbers you need to hydrate properly during the marathon. If you're interested in that program, you can go to nutrition.runnersconnect.net and you'll see all the information for that product. And if you enjoyed the interview today, please head over to iTunes and give us a uh, star review, even if it's not a five-star review, if it's just four or three, you know, whatever you feel, if you feel like this was a helpful podcast, we'd love to hear from you. And if you do leave us a review, we'll try to read it on air. And uh, again, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. We're so happy to have you as a fan. And thank you so much. Have a great day.